Well, well, well. Good morning, Soul City. How are we today? Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Me too. Praying for you. Love you all. Love you all. Uh, well, as Jarrett said, my name is John Jorgensen. I'm on the teaching team here. Uh, but more than that, for my wife Erin and I, this is our church. This is our community. We, uh, we attend here. We serve here. We're part of a small group here. Uh, and so it is always a really really special privilege for me to be able to teach here. But I want you all to know that I have not always been a Bible teacher. I have been a self-prescribed Bible nerd since college, but uh, teaching from the Bible has not always been my job. In fact, in college, I got my degree in acting and musical theater. My parents were very happy about that. Um, They were not. They were not. Uh, yeah, so, and that, that was my job, actually. That was my job for, for several years after college. I lived in New York City. I worked as an actor. And, and because of that, I had the opportunity from time to time to run in some circles with some people who were pretty famous, like B to B minus level celebrities. You know, people who, like, I'd say their name and you might be like, uh, but if I told you the one thing that they did one time, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy, that person, yeah. For example, um, one time I got to meet Vanessa Hudgens, yes, of high school musical fame, yes, indeed. A a good friend of mine was in a show with her, and we got to meet her after, and for the 14-year-old theater nerd inside of me, I was very excited to meet Gabriella. It was a big day in my life. Uh, Another person that I got to hang out with a little bit was uh, Jonathan Bennett. Some of you might recognize him. He, He is on Food Network, the host of Cake Wars. Um, but all the millennials in the room know who this is, whether you realize it or not. You remember him as Aaron Samuels from Mean Girls? Yeah! See what I mean? B minus level, right? Right? But Jonathan's actually a great guy. He was dating someone who I was in a show with, and when we met, I found out that he had actually seen several of my YouTube videos, and he was like kind of a fan, and so he was actually very excited to meet me, so... Take that, Lindsay Lohan. That's all I have to say. That's all I have to say. But uh, by far the most famous person I've ever met. I was so excited when this happened. It, it didn't actually happen in New York. It happened last year when my wife, Erin, and I, we, we went to Paris. And just so you know, normally I have a strict no-pictures policy with famous people. I'm not judging you if you like to take selfies or anything like that. I, I just like, don't want to be a bother. I want to let them go about their day. But when I met this person, I just couldn't help it. And so we asked her if we could take a selfie, and she was very, very nice. She was very gracious, and she allowed us to take a picture. And so uh, I have the picture here. Uh Yeah! Come on, people! Mona! I have to tell you, I was way more excited to meet Mona Lisa than any of those B-level celebrities that I hung out with before, right? Because, I mean, if you think about it, works of art, especially paintings like this, they can be, at times, more famous than living people. And another really famous painting, uh, not as famous, but still pretty famous, that comes to mind, especially as we move towards Easter, is this painting. We have another one. How many of you have ever seen this painting before? Whether it was, yeah, whether it was in a church or maybe hanging in someone's home or whatever it might be. Uh, This is a 1940s painting by Warner Salman entitled Head of Christ. And and this is by far the most famous image of Jesus that we have in our modern world. Fun fact about this painting, it was actually commissioned right here in the city of Chicago by the North Park Theological Seminary. 
And since its debut, this image has been reproduced over half a billion times. It's everywhere. Giant murals in churches. Maybe you've seen it hanging above a family fireplace or, you know, those little like wallet-sized versions of it that, that people used to carry around. Maybe some of you still do. It's, it's everywhere. This image is said to have become the basis for the visualization of Jesus for hundreds of millions of people in the world. That is how they think of the Jesus we sing about. And maybe for you, that is sort of the image, the mental image of Jesus that, that you grew up with, right? This Jesus has this long, flowing, perfectly conditioned hair. His beard game is on point. He's got some sort of special razor, okay? Definitely a part of Dollar Shave Club, something like that, right? This, this Jesus, he's got like these kind, gentle, blue eyes, hard to, hard to miss. He, he's a white guy, right? This Jesus, the painting doesn't really tell us this, but, but this Jesus... I like to think of him as like six foot two, 180 pounds, benches 225, doesn't skip leg days, you know. <laughs> Jesus has never skipped a leg day in his life. The interesting thing, though, is a few years ago, archaeologists, a group of archaeologists, they got together and they took these bones dating back to first century Palestine, the, the time that Jesus lived. And they, using this skull and these bones, they created a 3D rendering of what this person, what a first century Jewish man would have looked like during that day. Now, I wanna show you the picture of this guy, and I wanna be clear, I'm not saying that what you're about to see is Jesus, okay? This is just probably a more accurate picture of what a first century Jewish male like Jesus would have looked like. Are you ready to see it? All right, here it is. Little different, right? I mean, first of all, the, the first thing that jumps out at us is this guy, he is not white. <laughs> Jesus grew up in, in the ancient Middle East. He was definitely not white like myself, you know? Th this, this version of Jesus, his, his beard game is okay. It's, it's a little more wily, you know? All right, good for him. He, he's doesn't, he has dark eyes. He has, he has this sort of wild, curly black hair. He, he has much more pronounced features. Very, very different. But this is probably more like what Jesus or someone like Jesus would have looked like. And so the question is this, how does this happen? How do we get from first century Jewish man to Warner Solomon's all-American Jesus? Well, you see, in the Bible, at the beginning, uh, we read that God creates everything, right? The heavens and the earth. And then, really, the next thing God does is God says, I want to create an image of myself. Meaning, I want to create a, a reflection or a representation of all of my goodness and my, my power and my strength and my love in the world. And in order to do that, God created us. He created human beings. That's what we mean when we say we are made in the image of God. It means that we are a representation of who God is in the world. But here's the problem. The problem is we are made in God's image, but we like to make God in ours. You see, here's the interesting thing. Voltaire would say it like this. In the beginning, God created man in his own image, and man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. You see, most people, they want a Jesus 
who really is nothing more than just a better version of themselves, right? Most people want a Jesus who looks like them, who talks like them, who thinks like them, who votes like them. And so in a culture that has been pretty much dominated by white male narratives, we have transformed Jesus to look like our world rather than allowing our world to be transformed by Jesus. And this isn't a new phenomenon, by the way. People have been doing this since Jesus came onto the scene. As Jarrett mentioned, for the last few months, we've been in this series, As It Is in Heaven. And in this series, we're not talking about all the things that we need to do or the checklists that we need to knock off in order to get to heaven, but we're actually talking about how we can get heaven, that God space, how we can get that here. How do we make here look more like there? And when Jesus talked about heaven in the Bible, pretty much any time he brought it up, he always talked, or almost always, talked about a kingdom. Jesus almost always tied those two words together with this phrase that he loved to use, kingdom of heaven. And so this idea of earth being as it is in heaven means that we are praying that, that God's kingdom, his, his rule, that God would be in charge down here, just like he is up there. That's, that's essentially why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But again, here's the problem. It's really hard to bring God's kingdom when you're busy building your own. It, it's really hard to, to really submit yourself to God's will when all you're really concerned about is getting your way. And, and all of history... In our culture today, and even if we're honest, my life and probably your life as well tells the story of people who make God in their image in order to build their kingdom. And so what we're going to look at today, we're going to look at a story from the first century, from Jesus' day that many of us might be familiar with, others maybe not. And in this story, these people in the story, they completely misunderstood and they completely distorted who Jesus was and what his mission was that he came to accomplish. And my hope is that through looking at this story that we might first learn from the mistakes of the people in the past in the way that they viewed Jesus, but also that we would all start to take a look at our own misunderstandings and our own distortions and our own misconceptions that we sort of come at God with. And I hope that maybe we can just Begin to move that stuff to the side so that moving into this week of Easter, moving towards the resurrection, maybe we can get a, a simpler or clearer and ultimately more powerful picture of who Jesus is and what he came to do and, and why it matters to us today. So here's what I want to do. Grab a Bible. There's usually one under the seat in front of you, might be on the armrest if you're up in the balcony, and turn to page 801. That is Matthew chapter 21. It's buried sort of at the bottom right of page 801. To give you a little context on this passage we're about to read, this is coming at the end of Jesus's life. This is at the, near the end of his time on earth. We're sort of entering into the final act of Jesus' story here. At this point, Jesus, he's been teaching, he's been performing miracles, he's been traveling, and mostly, he has been talking about this coming kingdom of heaven. But right here in Matthew chapter 21, 
Jesus, he is about to enter Jerusalem, which was the capital city of the ancient kingdom of Israel. And here, he's going to make his biggest announcement yet. I'm going to read along. I encourage you to sort of follow along with me because I'm going to need your help every now and then if you don't mind. So it says, Matthew chapter 21, verse 1, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a what? Donkey. Remember that tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This is like Grand Theft Auto Jerusalem here, okay? (laughs) Jesus just taking this donkey. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Zechariah. Say to daughter Zion, or say to the Israelites, see your what? Your king comes to you, gentle, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, what? Shouted, Hosanna, which means save us. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Today, as we've mentioned, this Sunday, the church calendar is celebrating Palm Sunday. And if you've grown up in church, you might be somewhat familiar with this tradition. Maybe you grew up in a church where every year they read this story, the story of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Maybe you went to a church where they actually handed out real palm branches and you got to wave them during worship or you did like a skit that that retold this story. If you're really lucky, you went to a church that rented a live donkey, right? And if you did, why did you ever leave that church? That sounds awesome. I requested a live donkey today. Unfortunately, as you can see, we did not get one, so we'll just have to do with me. But what's interesting about this, this Palm Sunday story is that in the church, we often treat Palm Sunday like this big celebration. We often hear sermons like, isn't this amazing? In this story, they gave Jesus a king's welcome because Jesus is a king. We treat it like this big celebration, and we forget that many of the same people in this story who were welcoming Jesus and shouting and celebrating him as king on Palm Sunday, many of those people were the same people calling for him to be executed on Good Friday. On Palm Sunday, they screamed, Hosanna, save us. Less than a week later, they screamed, crucify him. How did that happen? How did they make that leap so quickly? How did they go in just a few short days from Hosanna to crucify How did they go from save us to kill him? How did Jesus make this leap in their eyes from a king to a criminal in just one week? You see, I think there's actually something much more significant going on in this Palm Sunday story than we give it credit for. But in order for us to see what's really going on here, I need to ask a favor of all of you. It's a selfish favor. 
I need to ask you all to get a little Bible nerdy with me here for a second. Is that okay? Because in order for us to understand this, we kind of have to go back to the beginning. This goes back thousands of years. Once again, in the Bible, in Genesis, God makes this promise. And the promise is that he is going to establish a strong, dominant nation, a kingdom called Israel. And this kingdom, Israel, they are going to be a representation of God, like we are, and all of his love to the world. And so God does this. He establishes the kingdom of Israel. And most of the, New, most of the Old Testament is filled with stories of that kingdom of Israel in fluctuation. God establishes them as this great world power. Then they're taken over by a foreign empire. They escape that tyranny, and they, they reestablish their kingdom, and then they fall into exile. It's back and forth for the Jewish people for generations. And here, at this point, in Jesus' day, Jerusalem, or the kingdom of Israel, has been overtaken by yet another world power, Rome. The Jewish people in this day, they are living under the harsh tyranny of the Roman Empire. And for years, they have been eagerly awaiting a revolutionary king to come, defeat Rome, and once again reestablish this strong nation, this kingdom of Israel. And it has been promised to, this, to these people in their Hebrew scriptures, it's been promised to them that this king, this king that's going to come and set them free, is going to come to them riding on a donkey. That's what the prophecy is referring to in the text. And so when Jesus on Palm Sunday, rides into Jerusalem, riding a donkey, the people think, this is our guy, right? This is it. And so they scream, Hosanna, save us, save us from Rome, liberate us, liberate us from our bondage. They are screaming for him, but not because they think he has come to establish God's kingdom, but because they think he's coming to reestablish their own. They really love the idea of Jesus as king so long as he was king over their kingdom. So long as Jesus was king in their image. So long as Jesus was committed to their hopes, their dreams, their political aspirations, and their future. And this is something Jesus just refused to be. And when Jesus refused to be what they wanted to make him, they were very quick to kill him. And so on this Palm Sunday, I think the challenge for myself and for all of us is to ask ourselves, how often do we do this same thing to Jesus? I got to brag on myself for a little bit, if you don't mind. Y'all, I have to tell you, I have to tell you how committed I am to prayer when I am writing these messages for you. Like, I want you to know, all this week, I have, I've been really impressed with myself, honestly. I've been coming before God. I've been like, God, would you lead me? God, would you speak to me? Would, would you give me something to say? I, I've been praying for all of you. Honestly, I have. I've been praying that God would use this message to, to help draw you towards him. I've been praying like it's my job. And it kind of is. But, <laughs> and I want to be clear, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with, with praying these kind of prayers, especially in, in times like this where we're desperate and we need God. There's nothing wrong with that. But the question that I have to ask myself is do I pray nearly as much 
when I don't have a message to write is when I do. Am I as desperate for God when my home life is stable versus when my marriage is struggling or Aaron and I have a fight? Am I as passionate on Sunday morning? Am I as passionate in my worship when life's just going pretty good versus when maybe I really, really need something from God? I think we're all pretty comfortable with this idea of your will be done prayers as long as God's will is the same as my will. As long as God's plan doesn't mess with my plan. You know, I like the idea of Jesus as king so long as he's king over my kingdom. You know, so long as his power, his almighty power is working towards my purposes. I think a lot of us are okay with God being in command as long as we can stay in control. But here's the thing, and, and this is pretty humbling for myself, and maybe for someone in this room, and I want you to hear what I mean here when I say this. I don't think Jesus is very interested in helping me build my kingdom. I know that sounds crazy, and, and I want you to know it doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean God doesn't want the best for your life. I just don't think God is as interested in helping you build your kingdom or your platform or your profile or, or your net worth as much as you are. Again, I'm not saying that God doesn't love you. I just don't think he is as interested in those things as you are or as I am. Because this book, I'll tell you what, it is filled with stories of human beings trying to build their own kingdoms all about and for themselves. And even outside of this book, you can look at human history, you can look at our world today, and you will see human beings, you will see individuals, you will see institutions and societies that are trying to build human kingdoms. We see stories of governments that just take things. They just take it by force, things that aren't theirs. We, we see institutions that that impose their will on the weak. We see individuals, leaders, who care nothing for anyone but themselves. Even the church has been rocked by this. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but I feel like in the last year, I have read so many news stories and so many articles about ex-influential Christian leader pastor who has been caught in a scandal of their own making, who has been caught abusing their power, seems like every other day. And I'll be honest with you, even as a, a teacher, even as a Bible teacher and as a pastor, I, <laughs> I hit a point last year where I heard another one of these stories and I just kind of threw my hands up in the air and I was like, all right, if this is what it means to be a Christian, I'm not really sure I want that. I'm not really sure I want that name tag that's how people are representing God. If that's what the church, if, if that's what God's heart is, I don't know if I want that anymore. But of course, I, I have to remember in those moments that that is not God's heart. And that's the truth. I want anyone in this room to know if you've been burned by a human kingdom, if you've been burned by a, by a broken human king, especially one who says they were coming to you in the name of Jesus, but use their power in an abusive way, I want you to know that is not God's heart. That's not what God is up to in the world. 
That's not what his kingdom is built on. You see, I have to remember that these kingdoms of of institutional religion or these, these kingdoms of political machines or even broken individuals, those kingdoms aren't God's kingdom. The good news that I have to remember when I get burned by those human kingdoms or when I find myself trying to build my own, I have to remember the good news that Jesus is a different kind of king for a different kind of kingdom. And I want to try and give you at least a fraction of a picture of what this king and kingdom look like. Because when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he was announcing a kingdom. But it was a kingdom that is unlike any human kingdom that the world had or will ever know. You see, this is a kingdom that is not about how much you can get for yourself. This is actually a kingdom of how much you can give of yourself for other people. This isn't a kingdom that puffs itself up. It's a kingdom that pours itself out. This isn't a kingdom of self-serving. This is a kingdom of serving the undeserving, the low, the weary, the hurting, the destitute. This, This isn't a kingdom of condemnation. This is a kingdom of celebration. And this is not another kingdom where truth is continually silenced. This is a kingdom where truth is king. And this is not another king who just rules by intimidation and fear and stepping on the weak. But this is a king that flipped it all upside down by wielding his power and ruling with love, humility, service, and the ultimate sacrifice. So when Jesus rode in there, he was announcing a kingdom, but it wasn't their kingdom. It wasn't your kingdom. It wasn't my kingdom. It was the kingdom of heaven. And this kingdom is utterly different. And Jesus is an utterly different and better kind of king. And what we are invited to do then, what Jesus invites each and every one of us to do through a relationship with him, is to play a part in building and bringing that kingdom, that different, better kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're talking about. Thank you. (laughs) And so I know one person's answer in this room. (laughs) But I'm wondering for the rest of you, do you want to be a part of a kingdom like that? Do you want to be a part of building and bringing a society that is utterly different than so much of the society we see in our world today? Do you want to build that kind of kingdom at your job? Not a kingdom that's built on hierarchy or performance reviews or who do I need to step over, what do I need to do in order to get to the next best, better thing, but instead, what if you built a community at your work that was really all about serving your customers or your clients or even your coworkers in the way that Jesus would have with love, with humility, with care and excellence? Don't you want to have different kinds of relationships in your life? Different kind of marriage? Aren't you you like sick of the scoreboard? You know the scoreboard. It's like, well, I let out the dog last night. Uh, I changed the baby the day before. Well, I let you win the last argument. I played that card just yesterday. (laughs) Don't you want your your relationships to to really reflect who Jesus is? A relationship that that is built on love, that's built on sacrifice and serving one another. 
I'll tell you what, I, I want to build that kind of kingdom in my own mind and in my own heart. I'll be honest with you, I got problems. Uh, one of my major problems is that I overcommit. I tend to just say yes to everything. And I do it under, under the guise of, well, I want to serve God, I want to serve God's people. But really, at the heart of it, I say yes to everything because I don't have a clear vision of the one thing that God has really created me to do. I say yes to everything because I view it as an opportunity to build my own kingdom. Or not just one, but I use it as an opportunity to build my 50 mini-kingdoms every day. But when we can get crystal clear on what God created you and I to do, to take his heavenly kingdom, his reign, and allow it to rule here as it is in heaven, when we know that that's what we're here to do, then we have wisdom and we know what to say yes to. We know what to say no to. We know what opportunities to take and leave behind because I am crystal clear that I am a kingdom bringer. I'm a kingdom builder representing God here on this earth. And so I want to encourage us all this week as we move into this week of Easter because if we want to build, if we want to live in this different kind of kingdom, we got to serve a different kind of king. And so this week as we move towards remembering Jesus' death, and celebrating his resurrection, I want to encourage each and every one of us to maybe just take a fresh look, to restart and, and just look with fresh eyes at who Jesus, this different kind of king, really is. Maybe you're here and, and you're just sort of trying out this church thing for the first time, or maybe, maybe you're retrying it for the first time in a while, and I want you to know, I think you're actually in the perfect position to do this because you're not coming at it with all this baggage. You can actually, this week, look at Jesus for who he says he is. Now, for those of you, maybe, for those of us who have been following Jesus a little longer, or you've been really ingrained in maybe church or religion, you might have a little more work to do because you might have some baggage. You might have some distortions, some distortions that were given to you by the tradition that you grew up in, or even transformations that you do yourself of who Jesus is. But wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, I want to I just I want to encourage each of us in order to appreciate what the power of the resurrection is, Jesus being on the throne. We got to understand who this king is. And so we're going to give you some materials this week that are, that's going to help you do that. But, but one of the ways that we can all do this right now is simply by praying a simple prayer, by, by saying just this simple mantra, saying God is who he is, not who I say he is. God is who he is, not who I say or maybe sometimes who I want or I transform him to be. And, and you can replace yourself with anyone or anything in your life that is distorting or transforming who God is in your life. You could say, God is who he is, not who my current circumstances say he is. God is who he is, not who maybe my doubts or my fears or my insecurities say he is. You could even go as far as to say, God is who he is, not who my church experience says he is. As we talked about before, the church is just as guilty 
of twisting God in order to build its own kingdom as any other institution. And myself and your pastors and even the greatest Christian you know can be just as guilty of doing this too. And so, here's what I want to encourage us to do. We're going to sing here in a minute. But one thing that one thing that people often do in the presence of a king is they bow. King walks into the room and you, you bow. Or you might even get on your knees. You might even bend your knees to a king. And this is to show honor, to say you are in charge. That's exactly what we're doing. When we kneel or when we bow to Jesus, we're saying, God, you're in charge here on earth as it is in heaven. And so as we go into this time, as we pray, we're, we're going to take about 30 seconds. And I want to encourage you, if, if you're able, I know it's kind of tight in the seats. I, I know people have injuries and things like that. However you want to take it, you can go to your knees if you want, join me. Or if you just want to bow your head, place your hands in front of you. And just take a second. Take a second to place God on the throne. Take a second to remove maybe your crown that you've placed on his head. And instead say, God, you are who you are, not who I say you are. If you want to take that posture on your knees right now, you totally can. If you want to just bow right where you are, that's fine. We're just going to take a minute. God, you are who you say you are. You are that good, different, better kind of king. And so, Father, I pray right now that all of the human kingdoms, whether they're ones that are outside of us that we've been hurt by or whether they are ones that we ourselves are building in our own minds and hearts, I pray that all of those kingdoms, we would let those melt away and instead, heading into Easter, would we put you on the throne? Would we humbly submit ourselves and say, God, you are in charge? And then would you use us, God, to be a reflection of you here on earth, to represent you here on earth and to bring and build your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, would our city, God, would our workplaces, would our schools, would our houses, would they start to look like heaven? Jesus, we thank you for being a better kind of king. We thank you for being the king we always needed and maybe never even knew we wanted. And now... God, as we sing, we want to sing and praise you for all of who you really, truly are. We pray this in your name, Jesus, your kingly name. Amen.